good evening and welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. In tonight's programme, we're going to examine the ongoing situation in Syria. NATO's been trying to destabilise Syria for more than a decade. The US has seized a third of the country where Syria's oil reserves and its wheat-producing breadbasket region are located. In November 2019, President Donald Trump admitted that the US is keeping troops in the country to steal Syria's oil. Back in 2018, Britain joined air raids against Syria based on false intelligence about an alleged chemical weapons attack on the city of Douma that never happened. I remember being interviewed on Channel 4 News at the time because I opposed the airstrikes. Kathy Newman was the presenter interviewing me, and she was gung-ho about the airstrikes. She sought to ridicule my scepticism about a chemical weapons attack and described Syria's President Assad as a murderous dictator. It was a classic example, in my opinion, of what Noam Chomsky described as manufacturing consent. But despite the best endeavours of Western imperialist powers, the people of Syria have demonstrated incredible resilience and remain loyal to President Bashir al-Assad. Now Syria is facing a new campaign concocted by British, French and US intelligence agencies to destabilise southern Syria. So I'm delighted to welcome Vanessa Beely back onto the show this evening, who's joining us from Syria to discuss what's going on there. Vanessa is a courageous investigative and photojournalist, and she's reported on the ground from locations as far afield as Syria, Palestine and Yemen to eastern Russia and the Donbass region in Ukraine. Her work is highly regarded by people like the illustrious John Pilger, and in 2017 she was a finalist for the prestigious Martha Gellholm Prize for Journalism. In 2018 she was named as one of the 238 most respected journalists in the UK by, British National, by the British National Council for the Training of Journalists. And in 2019, Vanessa was among the recipients of the Serena Schum Award for Uncompromising Integrity in Journalists. We could do with a, a few more like you, uh, okay. Vanessa. So it's an incredible privilege to have Vanessa on Resistance TV this evening. So uh, hi, Vanessa. How are you, mate? Oh, hi, Chris. It's really nice to be back on with you. And, and thanks for having me on. There's a lot to unpack in Syria at the no, moment. No, absolutely. <laughs> I just wonder, though, before we get into this new campaign by the British, French and US intelligence agencies, I wonder whether you could tell us what the impact of sanctions is on the Syrian population. Because, you know, talk to a lot of people, they, they think even now that, that, that sanctions are a humane alternative to you know, military uh, action. But the truth is, from what I've seen, that, you know, they represent collective punishment of the civilian population, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, especially the sanctions that have been levied against um, Syria since 2011, even before then, but let's say that they increased um, exponentially from 2011 onwards, ending, of course, under the Trump administration with the Caesar Act, based again on, on a fraudulent report of um, torture carried out by the Syrian government that was proven, you know, that the majority of the photographs used in that case were actually of tortured Syrian Arab army soldiers whose bodies were discarded. Um, and yet that report um, famously sort of brought to the US and has since been recycled multiple times to justify sanctions against um, Syria is um, in order to punish any country that comes to the assistance of Syria. So this is extraordinary. We have unilateral sanctions against the Syrian people 
Sanctions, in my opinion, are never against those that they claim to be targeting, which are usually government or, or government institutions in target countries. They are almost invariably unilateral, as of course we saw in Iraq with the death of um, 500,000 children that Madeleine Albright considered was a price worth paying. Um, yes. And so, you know, here in Syria, after almost 13 years of war and destabilization and occupation by the United States and their various terrorist and um, contra uh, the Kurdish contra proxies in the northeast and Al-Qaeda, which has been described by Ambassador Jeffries as a uh, U.S. asset in Syria, occupying the northwest with Israel, of course, illegally um, occupying and having annexed the Golan territory. Yeah. Um, and uh, the U.S. has control, of course, of uh, the oil resources, the agricultural resources in the northeast. And it steals more than 80% of those resources, either directly taking it to their own military bases in Iraq, or um, it's used to provide revenue for ISIS or for the Kurdish Contras, both of which have been proven to be um, US-Israeli uh, proxies in Syria. And so the so sanctions... Sorry, go on. No, go on. No, no, you go on. Sorry, I thought you'd finish that. Go on, Vanessa, keep going. Um, so the sanctions effectively combined with the occupation mean that we have very limited electricity. Uh, many people around here, for example, in the suburbs of Damascus, receive less than one hour per day, even in the hottest, coldest weather. We don't have water because we don't have electricity to pump the water to the tanks on the roof. Uh, food prices are going up exponentially. Salaries, are, they have just increased but for the first time since uh, 2011. So they're not keeping up with the price of food and the rising inflation. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's hell actually for people in Syria. Um, yeah. And for me, this is what sanctions are designed to do. They're designed, as you said, to collectively punish a people that is resisting any neo-colonialist project, whether it's uh, military intervention or economic intervention or interference, um, and to, to, to force the people into a state of lack of dignity, uh, hopelessness, despair, depression, where they will turn against the target government. Mm, mm, appalling. Uh, you, you you anticipated my my attempted interjection there because I was going to oh, ask sorry. you. No, 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 it's fine. I was just going to ask you explicitly, you know, how was it manifesting for for people on on the ground? But that was what you was going to go on to actually describe what you've just described. But I'm just wondering as well, uh, Vanessa. I mean, has you know Russia's uh, intervention uh, assisted eased the situation for the Syrian people at all, or, or in terms of quality of life, has it has it not made that much difference in your opinion? Well, I, I mean, you know, without Russian intervention in September 2015, the country would have been overrun by ISIS that was being empowered and armed and equipped and enabled um, by the United States and its allies, which of course include the UK. The UK is now funding the largest ISIS holding camp in the Northeast. Many people don't realize that, but the British government is actually funding the expansion of the ISIS camps under the pretext of providing shelter for uh, many British citizens that, of course, were um, 
the British government will claim that they went of their own will, but we know recently, for example, Samantha Begum was uh, smuggled with the, with the full knowledge. He was trafficked basically as a 15 year old yeah. to Syria, allegedly by Canadian intelligence agencies, but with the full knowledge of British intelligence agencies. So I would speculate that British intelligence agencies know full well that children are being trafficked to Syria. And of course, now the government washes their hands of them um, and condemns them to a life of torture and abuse uh, of children in these in these holding camps, which, as I said, the UK is now expanding. It's, it's funding the expansion of these camps. Vanessa, are there any uh, corporate media journalists who are uh, probing this stuff that you are uncovering that you're speaking about this evening i've not seen it i mean where are they uh, <laughs> they are basically providing the narratives that maintain the aggression and the blockade and and the siege of syria and that has been the role you you mentioned manufacturing consent you know all of british media including the guardian channel 4 you also mentioned kathy newman um, I remember her openly calling uh, President Assad a gas-killing monster immediately mm -hmm. after the alleged Duma attacks that have now been completely uh, disproven by dissenting OPCW organizations yes. for the prohibition of chemical like weapons, inspectors themselves. Um, yes. And yet none of these journalists who have maintained the lies and by so doing have maintained the bloodshed in Syria and have maintained and enabled and facilitated the misery of the Syrian people have been held to account, not in Syria, not in Iraq, not in Libya. You know, it's quite extraordinary. In my opinion, uh, these journalists who have really maintained the uh, justifications for the pressure that NATO member states are putting on Syria are criminal. Mm. Well, Julian Assange described um, the journalists who mm. basically facilitate war, tell the lies that actually you know, warm up public opinion, uh, as he, he accused them of being war criminals. And I don't think he's yeah. far from, from the truth, is he, uh, uh, in that regard? But just in no, terms absolutely. of uh, the, the OPCW that you, that you mentioned, uh, I mean, there was a lot of effort, wasn't there, put into suppressing that report that proved that the chemical weapons attack was just a fantasy, was, 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 was just a lie. Hmm. Well, I mean, I was actually in um, Damascus when this attack allegedly took place. And quite a funny story, I mean, funny, you know, ironic story was that yes, the day yes. before, um, I had gone on a on a kind of a media trip to liberated areas of Eastern Ghouta. Of course, Douma was one of the last areas, if not the last area to be liberated by the Arab army, which of course is why it makes absolutely no sense that they would use chemical weapons so close to their own troops, so close to their own civilians that they were on the yeah. point of liberating. Right. Um, but we actually visited um, alongside CNN uh, and ITV, I think, various uh, chemical weapon manufacturing sites and, and ammunition sites, you know, factories belonging to the terrorist groups that had occupied Eastern Ghouta. 
And when the story broke of this alleged chemical attack, of course, I was there. I immediately spoke to um, people that were on the scene. All of them said, no, there's nothing. There is nothing. Like, we're walking in the building that was supposedly attacked, and we're not wearing any protective gear. There's nothing, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that was the story that I immediately got in the first few minutes of it breaking. Frederick Pleitgen, yeah. who was the CNN um, journalist who I'd been with the day before, and I'd had the, the kind of um, prescience to film the people he was interviewing, which he was very annoyed about. He basically put out a report saying, you know, it must be the Syrian government, blah, blah, blah. So I challenged him on Twitter and I said, really? I said, you were with me yesterday. You visited all of the chemical weapon facilities of the terrorist groups. It couldn't possibly be one of them if chemicals have been used or have been dispersed, you know, accidentally in the liberation process, etc. He blocked me immediately, complained about really? it to the Ministry of uh, Information here in Damascus. <laughs> so, you know, that just gives yeah. you an indication of how these journalists are not there no. to um, uncover truth. I mean, Robert Fisk went a few days later and, yes. and almost kind of um, reluctantly said, I really do think this, this, is, this is nonsense, you know? And of course he got lambasted. Yeah. by the BBC and, and all the rest of them that, that were tasked with supporting um, the chemical weapon narratives, not only this one, but the previous ones also. Um, and then, of course, based on a non-existent dossier, not even a dodgy dossier, um, no. I was also there when the UK, France and US bombed Damascus on the basis of a claim that the Syrian government has used um, chemical weapons, despite the fact that, of course, with the intervention of Russia, they had destroyed their chemical weapon stocks in 2013. And in all honesty, in warfare, chemical weapons are really kind of irrelevant, yeah. you know? It's interesting because, I mean, I, I quoted Robert Fisk uh, mm. his observations. I also quoted military, in this interview with Cathy Newman, quoted, uh, you know, esteemed, if I can put it like that, military British military experts who were also very skeptical uh, about mm. it, uh, form, former first uh, uh, Sea Lord and so on, uh, and the uh, the guy who was um, in charge of the uh, British Expeditionary Force in in, in Iraq, you know, um, they were all skeptical about it, and yet in spite of that, <laughs> you know, she continued to <laughs> to ridicule my my sort of reasoning for challenging the decision to to launch airstrikes without even a debate in the in the House of uh, Commons. But let's, let's just move on, if, if we can, then, uh, mm. Vanessa. And I wonder if you could just tell us about this new campaign, then, by uh, Britain, France, and the US uh, intelligence services to destabilize southern Syria. Well, I think just to give some context on, on the military situation, if I can, as it mm. currently is inside Syria, because Syria, to a large extent, has kind of been put on the back burner because the war to a large extent had stagnated with, um, you know, uh, Turkey uh, embedding itself in northern territory with its various Muslim Brotherhood proxies, the northwest, of course, Al-Qaeda or Hayat Tahrir al-Sham as it's been rebranded with Abu Muhammad al-Jalani as its leader, um, formerly ISIS, then Al-Qaeda, and then he created HTS. And the West has attempted to kind of 
whitewash him and create within you know the group itself and and uh, the the governmental spin-off in Idlib as being legitimate opposition to the Syrian government. PBS interviewed uh, Jelani, so did France 24 fairly recently in May 2023. Um, so in the Northwest, you have to a large degree, you've got always here wars within wars. So you've got HTS fighting against various other dominant uh, groups that may have backing from, from different countries um, inside the Northwest, but HTS, which is the US asset uh, in Adlib, are the dominant force. Um, in the North, as I mentioned, you've got Turkey annexing uh, Syrian territory with their proxy groups, Muslim Brotherhood extremists that are kind of derivative of the original Free Syrian Army. Uh, US has created, recreated military bases in central Syria, so from the North coming down um, towards Palmyra, or, or to Raqqa rather, they've reinstated one of their former uh, military bases. And of course, they're building up military presence in the northeast, coming in from Iraq into northeast uh, Syria. Recently, there's been a major bombing campaign to destroy railway bridges, the last bridges actually in the northeast that the US hadn't already destroyed. Um, and the Kurdish Contras are stealing the railway track and selling it as, as scrap in uh, Turkey. That's all ongoing at the moment. There are clashes between various tribal factions and the Kurdish Contras. So, you know, it's a maelstrom of, of confusion and, and infighting, really, because um, the various tribal factions that are now fighting the Kurdish factions are not actually necessarily with the Syrian government. Um, but, but they don't like the Kurdish interference in their affairs also. So I always describe it as a kind of boiling pot of, of mafia interests, really. Take out the ideological religious interests and just look at it as a mafia operation. Then, of course, coming down um, towards the southeast on the border with Jordan and Iraq, you have the illegal biggest illegal US military base of Al-Tanif on, on that border with Jordan and uh, Iraq. But what has been happening in the last uh, couple of weeks really is that we've been made aware of a new, as you said, British, US, French uh, intelligence uh, campaign to stir sectarian um, violence in the South, particularly in the area called Sweda which is home to the Druze community. Druze are an Abrahamic monotheistic uh, ethnic uh, religious sect, also existing in Lebanon and in Israel. And there's a very small minority that are effectively managed behind the scenes by Israel through Walid Jumblat, the, the leader of the so-called Men of Dignity um, movement, which is looking, again, just like the Kurdish factions, looking for autonomy, um, separating itself from central uh, governance. Um, and so we have the birth of a new federalist project, of course, in the South. But what else has been happening is the US has moved an estimated 7,500 uh, terrorists down from the Turkish-occupied Northern Territories to Al-Tanif. The plan is to deploy them to the Syrian-Jordanian border, which will close the border effectively to Syrians. Um, they've been training up to 16,000 Druze militia. 
uh, in preparation for basically taking over all of the governmental uh, security agencies, police force, etc. There's no real Syrian Arab, Arab army presence in this area. So if people start to hear, oh, the Syrian Arab army is cracking down on protests, it's nonsense because the army is, is well away from this area. But it's, it's always been very hands-off because um, the Druze who have fought always, I mean, they fought against French colonialism back in the 1920s. They fought on the side of the Syrian Arab army against the imperialist project for the last 13 years. So people need to understand this is a tiny minority, but what makes it dangerous is the power multiplying by the US and its allies, including Israel, that of course sees an opportunity to seize further Syrian territory in the south, which will bring it closer um, to Damascus. Of course, it regularly, two days ago, carried out an attack on Aleppo International Airport, putting the runway out of action for um, two days. It's going to be back in operation tomorrow. Um, so we're in a very um, mm. we're in a very precarious situation. And the only other thing that the U.S. wants to do, of course, is to close the last remaining land border that connects Syria to Iraq and Iran, um, which is at Al Bukamal, which allows humanitarian aid in, but it's also an area through which Iran does supply weapons and even oil uh, to yeah. Syria to try and keep it going because the US is stealing its resources. Yeah. And regularly, um, the Biden administration has bombed this crossing. Israel bombed it even when it was bringing in humanitarian relief after the double earthquake tragedy in February. Yes, and I think I remember we, we, we spoke about that when you came yeah. on the show last time to talk about the impact of the earthquake in, uh, on Syria. I mean, we heard a lot mm. about its impact in Turkey, but not anything, I don't think, on the corporate media about its no, effect nothing. in Syria, which was which was even worse. I mean, it's appalling, obviously, for the poor people in, in Turkey as well. But in, in Syria, I mean, the impact, you know, even more devastating. Mm. But how did this information about the uh, this new ploy by these intelligence services come to light, uh, Vanessa? It came to light through um, various sort of media personalities here in Syria. Um, and actually, they put out quite a lot of details. So they'd obviously been investigating it for some time. Obviously, I don't just take that information and, and regurgitate it. But when I started to look into exactly what was happening, everything was happening according to what they were saying had been planned by these intelligence agencies. And the interesting thing is that uh, at the time that these intelligence agencies were allegedly meeting in Paris and money was exchanging hands, Qatar is claimed to be supporting this movement again. And we have to remember Qatar didn't take part in the normalization with Syria and with President Assad. No. It kept very much in the background. And it, you know, it was the primary financier of the war um against syria from from the very beginning saudi arabia really pulled out around 2015. um and when i started to look into it and put the pieces together it started to make sense right because uh in june 2023 there was an inaugural meeting in paris of this new uh, opposition in inverted commas uh, umbrella group that is bringing together all of the opposition um, personalities and so on under one organization. 
um, which was established by none other than British Syrian um, oil baron uh, Ayman Asfari, who of course funded the Tory government uh, hundreds of thousands, particularly under Theresa May, um, and was investigated by the serious fraud uh, squad in the UK and in Italy. Um, and it, you know, has had a vested interest in regime change in Syria from the very beginning. He established the PR company Syria Campaign for the White Helmets. Um, he promoted and supported the White Helmets both directly and indirectly. The White Helmets, of course, a CIA MI6 uh, construct established in Turkey and Jordan in 2013, embedded exclusively with the armed groups, predominantly with Al-Qaeda, to provide the chemical weapon narratives, the narratives that, that justify, um, in particular, UK intervention in Syria. Um, and so all of these events that were going on around these claims being made by media here suddenly pulled everything together. So while, as I said, I'm not going to simply you know, say they said this, at the same time, when I put all the pieces together, what is happening is exactly what they predicted would happen. Yeah, they're yeah. shutting down government institutions. They're blocking roads. Um, they're they're forming uh, so-called humanitarian corridors on on the border with Jordan, which you know we think will probably be used to bring weapons and further militia into Syria. Um, so everything is happening as planned. Now, the yeah. next step, which, of course, I, I do want to warn people about in case the stories start breaking, um, is that there is a claim that they will uh, use snipers again to pick off civilians and then blame it on um, Syrian security agents, as they did in Ukraine as they, in yeah. 2014, as they did in Egypt. I mean, you know, we've seen this multiple times, and, and they did in 2011 also. Yeah, it's the same playbook, isn't it? Um, yeah. Has there been any reaction from the Brits, the French or the Americans to these revelations about their latest uh, campaign to undermine Syria? Or have they just no, I mean, I, mean I, I was discussing this actually with a, with a Syrian friend of mine here who does a, an awful lot of research that I rely on because he's, he's always very accurate. And, and he was saying to me, like, what's going on? Why is no one really picking up on this. It's, it's just mm. bizarre. And I said, well, you know, Ukraine is taking everyone's attention. Then you've yeah. got Africa. Then you've got BRICS. You know, there's an awful lot. And, and I think almost um, deliberately, the US is using this kind of opportunity when everyone is distracted in other directions um, to carry out this campaign. Biden's got another yeah. 14 months before election. Yeah. He's losing in Ukraine. He's losing face in Ukraine. I mean, he's losing face generally. Um, so does he see Syria as a potentially an easy win? If not to, to achieve um, regime change, effectively, if they end up annexing the southern territory, of course, Syria is effectively landlocked on three quarters yeah, of its of borders, right? Lebanon has, has been put into economic freefall. There are, um, I was talking to Marwa Osman about this the other day, there are hundreds of thousands of extremists that came in from Syria to Palestine, I mean, to, sorry, to Lebanon and now living in the Palestinian camp. We've already seen clashes in the south 
um, near Sidon port between Fatah and Islamists in the camp there, which the name always escapes me. So, you know, what they're trying to achieve, I think, is instability on every single border and border insecurity for Syria. So Syria, very much like Palestine, actually, that's what I keep seeing in my head, is this yeah. shrinking central territory that is getting, you know, bites taken out of it with every single campaign. Um, and this, for me, is almost more worrying because the Syrian people don't accept any kind of sectarian narrative now. They've lived through 12 years of yeah. Western narratives. They know what's going on, so they don't accept it. As miserable and as depressed as they are, as starving as many of them are, 90% below the poverty line, um, they, you know, they are rising up and saying, like, forget it, you're our brothers. Why on earth are you, why are you doing this? And the government yeah. is trying to carry out negotiations with the majority of, of yeah. um, the Druze that support the Syrian state. This is the craziest mm. thing, but the, the danger yeah. is how the U.S. is going to play this. Not only the U.S., Israel, U.K., yeah. France, mm. etc. And there were well, three. Um, sorry, just quickly, there were three yeah. Republican uh, Congress members that entered Syria illegally, of course, from the north on Sunday. Republican, not not Democrat. Um, to basically um, bolster their support for the opposition. So what is very clear, so, so, you know, they had meetings with the White Helmets, they had meetings with, obviously, the border is controlled by the two terrorist groups that have just been sanctioned by the US, but clearly there's not going to be any penalty for them for meeting with a sanctioned terrorist group inside Syria illegally. Um, yeah. So it's very clear that this is a bipartisan project to to effectively... Syria to a point where it can barely survive and then they have control of it even without um, you yeah. know yeah. toppling the government basically no indeed I mean of course there's a, you know there's a long long uh, track record of this sort of thing I mean uh, think of Afghanistan and so on mm. uh, so it's yeah it's the same sort of uh, playbook repeated over and over again I just want to perhaps just uh, drawing things to to a close just a couple of other mm. questions whether you might just say a quick word or two about I mean you've touched on a little bit about about ISIS and uh, and the kind of links with the with the United States so I wonder if you could just maybe briefly say a little bit more about about ISIS and, and the role of the of the US because I mean again that you know people just be astonished I think uh, by this sort of information. <laughs> Well, yeah, because, you know, the, the, the entire pretext for the U.S. being inside Syria is to fight ISIS. But, I mean, the reality is that ISIS was flourishing and gaining territory uh, when the U.S. Or, and the U.K. were allegedly fighting it until Russia came in in September 2015. And then with the increased air power, um, ISIS started to lose territory until, of course, it was it was pushed into... I mean, predominantly into the northeast, but there are still terrorist cells even cl quite close to Damascus. We've had recent um, two or three uh, major terrorist attacks against civilians uh, in, in the southern areas of Damascus. And since the earthquake, ISIS has been carrying out attacks against Syrian Arab army positions and civilians and kidnapping civilians. Um, in 2016, I think it was September, John Kerry at a closed session at the UN 
actually admitted on audio tape that um, under the Obama administration, they had allowed ISIS, I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he said, they had allowed ISIS to flourish because they thought it would be good to leverage the Syrian government. So it was, very, you know, and then you have the stories of the weapons that were under the train and equip program that was supposed to go to the alleged moderates, 500 moderates so-called rebels in Syria, and funnily enough, they ended up yes. in the hands of ISIS. Um, you know, there. if you go to 2016, and actually talking of Kathy Newman, if you go to 2016, I don't know if you remember this story, but the Syrian Arab army was trying to liberate Deir Azor from ISIS, um, and they were on Sadr mountain, and they were gaining ground, the Syrian Arab army. The US, the UK, Denmark of all uh, countries and Australia, I think from memory, bombed the Syrian Arab army positions by mistake. But even after they bombed them, they strafed them with machine guns and allowed ISIS to retake the strategic territory on the mountain. Um, there are multiple stories like this. And I remember Kathy Newman interviewing Dr. Buthena Shaban, who's the, um, political and media advisor to the to the president. And it was honestly one of the most shameful interviews I've ever seen. It was, yeah. you know, there was no respect for what her own country had just done, committed a war crime, basically, on behalf of ISIS um, against Syrian Arab army that are the Syrian people, they're all conscripts. You know, they all, every single family in this country has lost a father, a brother, sister yeah. um, in this war fighting against Britain and, and the United States and EU and Israel, Turkey. Um, and, you know, and this is the thing. Many people are not aware of the crimes that have been carried out by ISIS with the protection of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, that's shocking. I mean, you mentioned Israel there as well. I wonder whether you might just sort of elaborate a little bit about uh, Israel's uh, role. I mean, obviously we know about the Golan Heights and so on and so forth, but, you know, what, mm -hmm. just say a bit more about what they're up to as well. Well, I mean, Israel, um, you know, one of the reasons that this war started was because really Syria is the heart of the, res of the resistance, uh, the pro-Palestinian resistance axis, right? Yeah. Um, even alongside Iran, Syria has been providing weapons to the resistance uh, inside Gaza and inside the occupied territories for a very long time. Many people are not aware of that. Um, there are Palestinian brigades fighting in the Syrian Arab army, the Liwa al-Quds Brigade, which liberated the majority of eastern Aleppo because that was their district. Again, you know, the, the Palestinian movement, unfortunately, was weaponized against Syria from the very beginning. And that was very much the Muslim Brotherhood um, connection to the factions that were being used again and again. Th throughout history, the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria has been instrumentalized to, to try and overthrow various, um, mm. I would say pro-Russia and pro-Iran governments that don't comply with US policy and Israeli policy in the region. But Israel had an active part in um, providing medical treatment for the various extremist armed groups, providing weapons 
And of course, every time there was a gain by the Syrian Arab army or there was a major campaign to liberate areas from terrorist occupation, what did Israel do? It bombed Syria. So it yeah. became very clear that there was correlation between the, the Syrian army campaigns, uh, the, the, the terrorist retreats, and Israel bombing of what it perceived to be um, Syrian air, air, military air bases, air defense, etc. And now, of course, Israel is intent on destroying all of the weapon development centers inside Syria because there was a recent report put out by a Tel Aviv uh, University think tank talking in great depth about, in Hebrew, about um, the strategic threat of Syria now that the war has basically come to an end it will turn to israel so the, the timing of this southern campaign is also very interesting because it comes literally two weeks after this report was released where israel was basically talking about its strategy to prevent syria becoming a real danger to israel itself again so you know israel has been instrumental um in this they've mentioned various officials have mentioned that they would rather see isis in power than than president assad um and they've been absolutely instrumental in supporting um the extremist islamist groups inside syria yeah unbelievably shocking information and just finally uh Vanessa, i wonder whether you might say a word or two you've touched in, in passing on the uh, uh, role of the white helmets, uh, and of course, they're venerated by uh, the media here and a lot of senior you know, politicians as some sort of you know heroic uh, um, group. But I mean, the reality is rather different, isn't it? But just say a word or two about them in in conclusion, if you don't mind. Well, the white helmets were brought in, as I mentioned, in 2013. In my opinion, as the Western media campaign was starting to fall apart, people were starting to see. Um, holes in the narratives and starting to, to, to realize that this was something more than it was being presented as in the West by the media. And so the white helmets were brought up, brought in to be embedded with the armed groups to provide um, humanitarian um, imagery to the armed groups to sort of whitewash their, their image. Um, and of course, we've seen multiple rebranding of the various armed groups also to distance them from the crimes of, of the previous branding, etc. Um, from the very beginning, the White Helmets were filmed involved in torture, in um, uh, detention, executions, cleaning up after executions. Um, they invariably had their headquarters in the same facilities as Nusra Front, Al-Qaeda in Syria, or even ISIS. Um, and of course, they were tasked with providing, there was a um, British government uh, draft document from, I think, April 2017, which said very clearly that the White Helmet's uh, job was to provide corroboration for UK foreign policy. Now, just think that one through, what that actually means. It, it should be the other way around. UK foreign policy should be based on the evidence, right, received from an on-the-ground organization. But it, it totally inverse, inverts that by saying, no, the white helmets are there basically to corroborate our foreign policy, which is regime change, right? So very clearly to me, that suggested that they are there to produce the narrative 
um, that facilitate British government policy in Syria. And of course, they were instrumental in providing um, the chemical weapon narratives, which were definitely disproven in Douma to have been staged by the White Helmets. Yes. Even the BBC producer, Riam Dalati, um, put out a series of tweets saying that the White Helmets had faked the, the scenes at the medical point in Douma. Um, but not only that, they stand accused by Syrian civilians of um, organ trafficking, of child abduction, um, of theft, of murder, of um, running all sorts of illegal trafficking rings, etc. And of course, none of this um, will ever get investigated. I remember having a conversation with a senior official at the UN um, in 2017. And they said to me, you know, this will, will never go anywhere. No one's going to do anything in the UN because the White Helmets are too politicized and everyone has skin in the game where they're concerned. They are basically underpinning um, the, the Western war effort in Syria. So they're never going to go down. And of course, the only country that did expose them um, was Russia. Yeah. Yeah, no, indeed. Uh, and we all know what's happening uh, with, with Russia at the moment. Listen, uh, uh, Vanessa, thank you very much. Indeed. I know you've got a very busy uh, schedule, so we really do appreciate you taking the time out to speak to us on Resistor TV. You're addressing the UN, aren't you, uh, later? So uh, obviously uh, mm. you've got a lot on your plate and, uh, you know, it's very, very much appreciated for you to, to, to speak to us. And hopefully, you know, we've gone some way to correcting some of the... Uh, the propaganda nonsense that, that is put out about uh, Syria and, uh, and giving people food for thought. So thank you very much indeed. Just finally, before you go, though, uh, yeah. Vanessa, how can people follow your work and, and keep in touch with the sort of uh, information that you're putting out on social media and, and, and anywhere else? Where, where should they go? Thank yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, the best place is probably my Substack now, just Vanessa Bailey on Substack. They can follow me on Twitter. Telegram is where I'm probably also most active. I do still have, I'm not quite sure how, a YouTube channel. Oh, great. Um, but, right. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah. It yeah. keeps getting striped, but it's still up there. It's still um, up there, that's great. What's your yeah. Twitter handle, uh, uh, Vanessa? It's just Vanessa Bealey. I, everything, oh, right. just my name. Vanessa Bealey. So we just, just yeah. search your name and it, and it will come yeah. up. Well, thanks again, Vanessa. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for watching this evening. We hope to be back next week, all being well. So until then, this is Kusum to say bye for now.